morning to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 19. Matthew 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would cleanse us. Grant to us eyes that are full of light. That we might behold you and your wondrous goodness. And that we might walk in a way that is pleasing before you. We ask that you would instruct us now. May our thoughts be established upon you and may my words be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. In this sermon, Jesus made many strong statements. We must be careful not to take the Sermon on the Mount as just a series of quotes that you could flip a calendar every day and just, you know, see a different verse and say, all right, this is what I'm going to think about today and make them a lot of unrelated statements, each one having its own private significance. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has explained already how to perform certain righteous acts and also how not to perform certain righteous acts. Things like giving and praying and fasting. There's a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that and the human heart gravitates toward the wrong way. That means our hearts gravitate toward the wrong way. So, Jesus warns us how we should not do those things, but then He in turn tells us also how we should perform those acts. He said that our giving should be in secret. Our prayers should be in secret, but also our prayers should be those that are given expressly expressly to God and not for the sake of other people so that they will be impressed with our prayers. He even taught us in Matthew 6 how we should pray. But then we come to a portion of Scripture that seems on the surface to be pretty plain. The traditional interpretation is make sure you give enough to God and you don't only give to earthly stuff, which is not wrong at all. But there's a little bit more to it than just what is what you are doing on the outside. As for the entire Sermon on the Mount, it is about what is in your heart. That's where it starts. If your heart is right before God, then your actions will follow in being right before God. 
So in verse 19, Jesus speaks to us about how we store up our treasure. Now he begins by telling us there are two places we can put our treasure. The first place is on earth. The second one is in heaven. He warns us that if we lay up treasures on earth, it is possible for those treasures or that wealth to be taken. It can easily be removed. Now, let me go ahead and say now, when Jesus uses the term treasures, a lot of times our mind goes immediately to cash. What we think of money, dollars. So, you know, if I had a dollar for every time uh, in, in my life that I've ever heard a Baptist preacher use this verse in a sermon on giving, I would be quite a bit wealthier than I am right now. Nothing wrong with that, because it's true. But it's not only, the treasures are not only monetary. A better way to understand this passage is to see treasures as wealth. Anything that you have that is of value, you can potentially turn it into an idol. As one minister has said, our hearts are idol factories. They churn out idols faster sometimes than we can smash them. So we need grace to withstand that. But when we lay up treasures on earth, they can be taken away either through time, just the wear and tear of time, as he said, where moth and rust doth corrupt. They can also be taken catastrophically. Thieves break through and steal. You have it, and then you come home, and it's not there anymore. Or you have it, and you thought it was covered with your in, by your homeowner's insurance, and it's not, and there's a tornado, and it's smashed, and you call your agent, and they say, oh, sorry about that. You actually didn't specify you wanted to cover that, and that actually... Uh, surpasses what you have coverage on for this particular area. So translated, really stinks to be you right now. Those are ways that uh, we can lose our earthly treasures. But whether it's through time or whether it is through the major events that happen, the warning is the same. If you Concentrate your wealth in things. It will be taken. You will lose it. Now, that's not to say that you know there's going to be something terrible that happens to all of us, and at some point we're going to go through a major c- catastrophe and find out that what we have is missing. Again, Jesus is warning us of something more than the fact that Over time, our wealth fades away. Anyone could say that. Any pagan, any Christian could say that. He adds a statement in verse 21 that helps us understand what he means by this passage. He said, For where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. In other words, you show your allegiance. You show your allegiance by how you spend your wealth. You display to other people what you value and what you appreciate by how you give what belongs to you. Then he makes what, for many of us, are a couple of obscure statements in verses 22 and 23 when he says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is the darkness. So how do all these things come together? We've heard, lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. We've heard where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is this stuff about the light of the body is the eye, and if your eye is single, then how does all this fit together? Well, hopefully we will get a better understanding of that as we look more thoroughly at the passage. When Jesus said that moth and rust can corrupt our treasures, the people of that time very often would accumulate wealth not only in gold and silver, but they would also accumulate wealth in clothes. Your clothes depicted your social status. Not too dissimilar than that for, than, than that's the case for some today. Your name brand of clothes says at least something about what you value, if not about what your social status is. Tomorrow, as students come back to many of our schools, I will observe as a teacher the back-to-school bargains that have been in stores all over the state. We will have some students who will have done their back-to-school shopping at Walmart. Uh, some will have done their back-to-school shopping at the malls in Oxford or Birmingham. Some will have driven to Atlanta because what all the podunks in Alabama don't have, the thriving metropolis of Atlanta does. There will be a display of how well off you are. So what does that motivate? Well, for some, that will motivate to, obviously, uh, buy a little bit outside of what you normally could afford because you've got an impression to make. Do adults do that? Yes, not always with clothes. But we do that. It could be, in some cases, with technology, gadgets. Every day, 
something new comes out in the technological world that you didn't know it yesterday, but you you don't know how you've made it through your life up to now without having that. It will make your life so much better. I mean, it is the answer for the problems that have been plaguing mankind for thousands of years. All in a small software app. Now, that's one possibility. As I said, clothes are another possibility. And we could go on. Sometimes the wealth may not even be something you can put in your hand. Sometimes there are people who prize intellectual wealth. I want to show that I'm the smartest person in the room. So, I'm going to stuff my head full of facts. I'm going to be able to call the names of all of the high-profile authors in this particular area that I sort of like, but the people that I hang out with really like, so I can sound like I am somebody in this area. Now, if you don't understand why someone would do that, good. Hopefully, you're not captive in this particular way. But the people in Jesus' day would buy clothes, and a problem with clothes, they didn't have mothballs back then. So a problem with expensive clothes, you would have these clothes, and then you would, be, you would go through them, and the clothes would have holes on them. Now, we're not talking about, again, something that you bought at the thrift store that you find, you know, after a year or so, you've worn it one time, and so you just kept it in your closet just because and you see it has a hole in it. We're talking about, in some cases, the equivalent to thousands of dollars. One garment. And you find it has holes in it. How? Empty is that feeling. So, Jesus is warning us that we shouldn't stock up, we should not hold our primary wealth in things. Some of these things, many of these things, will not last. Wealth evaporates, it goes away. And Jesus is not the first one to say that. Solomon said the same thing in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, where he said, There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. So, there is a person who holds everything that he has, he accumulates wealth in whatever form, and then something happens and it's gone. So what does he do with it? Well, he can't do anything with it now. It's vanished. The more you have, the more you are concerned with. Now, there is a subculture in evangelical circles right now. That subculture says 
the way to deal with consumerism is to tell other people to get rid of everything. It, I mean, obviously, Christians have way too much stuff. So what do we need to do? We need to tell all the people who are richer than I am to get rid of their stuff. Because stuff is the problem, right? We know that money makes me sin. Certainly not my heart. I mean, if it weren't for stuff, I wouldn't sin, right? Wrong. The answer is not to call other people to give what they have away. One pastor I heard told a story of a time when he worked in a used bookstore. And a gentleman came up to him in the bookstore and this gentleman said, Sir, do you own a house? pastor said, Yes. Do you own a car? pastor said, Yes. He said, Do you know that you're sinning against God? No, I didn't. He said, yes, because Jesus said, you, to be my disciple, you must give up everything. So, the pastor then tugged on the guy's sweater that he was wearing. He said, what's this? He said, it's my shirt or my sweater. He said, well, apparently you're in just as, almost as much sin as I am because you still own a sweater. Well, the guy kind of stopped and then he changed his tune and he said, well, look, I actually need a Bible. I don't have a Bible. And how he could memorize that verse, not uh, somebody must have told him, but still, he said, I need a Bible. So it was a Christian bookstore, so the pastor went inside, grabbed a, 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 an older Bible, paperback, and then brought it out to the guy. And the guy said, "Um, this one's not very nice. Do you have anything leather bound that I can have? He was wanting a gift. So that pastor said, ever since then I've learned never to trust anyone whose first verse is to tell other people Jesus had to give up everything. Well, we have to be careful of the call to identify sin in stuff. Wealth is not inherently sinful. Money's not sinful. Technology is not sinful. Clothes are not sinful. Owning things is not contrary to God's Word. What is the problem? The problem is being covetous of those things. It's loving those things more than you love God. In Colossians, excuse me, not Colossians, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, we're told that the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money often misquoted by saying money is the root of all evil. And it's not. The love of it is. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Jesus here is condemning the tendency of man to desire what he does not have. The alternative is not to hate wealth. The alternative is to yield our wealth to God. 
So Jesus is not telling us that we must give up owning everything. He's not saying if you have a house, you are wrong. If you have a car, you are sinful. He's not saying you should go around in rags or you should give everything to some uh, evangelistic society and then make your family eat bread crusts. He's saying you should not hoard what you have. Because what you have ultimately belongs to God. And if you are holding it like it belongs to you, then you are misusing His gifts. He said in Psalm 50, verse 10, Every beast of the forest is mine. That means everything in existence belongs to God. And if we don't understand that, if we don't submit to that, and we have a covetous heart. And we cannot miss what he says in verse 21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For is a connecting word. It, it, it connects what he has just said. In other words, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For or because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying to transfer your focus from earthly wealth storage to heavenly wealth storage. So how do we engage in earthly wealth storage? By making treasures, by making stuff your focus. By living a life in anticipation of what else I can buy next. Of what I can have next. Now, don't mis don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about. I'm not saying that we should not be good stewards of what we have. Jesus would talk about being a good steward a little bit later. The things, though, you think about, and the things that you want to keep and hold on to, or the things that you desire that you don't have, that is what can get you in trouble. So, where is your heart? If you're not sure, if you might be struggling with this, there's a really simple experiment you can run. Ask your spouse. Ask your son or your daughter. Ask your mom or dad or your brother or sister. What do I talk about? What do I want? What occupies my conversation? Because a lot of times you won't know. But he or she will. And if they're honest, they will tell you. Huh, boy, I'm glad you asked. Because you're all the time talking about fill in the blank. That's a way to know where your treasure is. See, it's possible for someone who is what we would consider poor to be covetous also. It's not just those, you know, nasty, filthy, rich people who have a whole lot of money who are covetous. And they're the ones usually that we see on the... When we imagine someone who's covetous, we think of someone like Ebenezer Scrooge 
But somebody who doesn't have much can be just as covetous. It doesn't matter how much you have. It matters what you're looking at. What you want. Do you want something that someone else has? Or do you have an obsessive desire to hold on to what you have? Jesus is warning us to not walk like that. Now, in continuing his explanation of the subject of being single-minded and not being a covetous person, he says in verse 22 that the light of the body is the eye. Now, we need the clarity of light. We all must have light. But an easier way for us to understand this could be as follows. Illumination comes through your eyes. Okay? If you close your eyes, it looks dark all the time. You can see various you know, shades of light, but, but if your eyes are closed, you can't see. The way that you take in light into your body is through your eye. You must have a certain amount of vision before you can see what is going on around you. Is your, if your vision is single, or we would say if your vision is clear, then you will be able to walk clearly and without help. If your eye, he said, if your eye is single, or if your vision is single, if it is clear, if it is open, then you can tell how to walk. Your body is full of light. You are able to receive the light that is shining, and it helps you to maneuver around and not trip, not to stumble. However, if your eye is evil, or if your eye is cloudy, if it's foggy, if it is unclear, then you're going to walk in darkness. He said that your body would be full of darkness, and what he means is that that you will not be able to make your way around without hurting yourself. You're going to fall. You're going to trip. You're going to bang your shin. You're going to stump your toe. Any number of things can happen if you don't have clarity of vision. If your vision is corrupted, it will affect everything you do. And the problem for some people is that they do not know that they are blind. He said, if the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, he is not getting his words mixed up when he said, if the light that is in thee be darkness. What he means is, if your understanding, if your vision cannot receive light, and if what comes, if when the light is on, you cannot receive it, and it's still dark, then a lot of times you don't even know that you're walking in darkness. It should be our desire to have a clear and single mind. So we need cleansing from corrupt vision. We need clarity. I know as adults, 
Many of you have probably not for many years ever looked cross-eyed because if your parents were good, they told you, don't cross your eyes because your eyes could get stuck that way. Right? Well, I'm not going to debate that principle. But I will say, if you remember how things look when your eyes are crossed, it's not just a, a very, you don't see just one thing. If you're looking at something and your eyes are crossed, you see two or sometimes three of whatever it is. And it, and if you really are, if that's the only way you can see, you're going to fall. When we don't have a single mind, and Jesus is tying this into having a corrupt or a covetous heart. When we have a covetous heart, we cannot see straight. Think of a drunk person staggering around. Why does a drunk person stagger around? Because he can't see. His perception is messed up. Now, the best thing that someone who is drunk can do is to remain still so that he will not hurt himself or someone else. Well, when we have a covetous heart, that is a spiritual type of inebriation. It clouds our ability to make wise choices. So when we are focused on wealth, when we are focused on stuff, on having things, whether it's monetary wealth, intellectual wealth, technological wealth, literary wealth, whatever type of wealth it is, if we are consumed by that, if, if that is blocking our vision, we cannot see as the Lord would have us to see. And we have poor and cloudy vision. And we will also, just like a drunk person, cause harm to ourselves and to others if this is how we are living. When I say we must be aware of covetousness, I mean no more than what is intended in the last commandment of the Ten Commandments. You shouldn't desire what does not belong to you. And as a corollary to that, you should not be a miser with what does belong to you. Because it all belongs to God. Whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that you obsess over, it's an idol. And there's only room in your heart for one God, and that God should be the God of the Scriptures. And if you are operating from a desire for things, the God of the Bible is not your true God. He's not the God that you are serving. When you want wealth that you don't have or you have an extreme fear of losing what you do have, that's sin. And that's why Jesus said to not accumulate treasure, don't accumulate wealth in things. 
Because if that becomes your focus, then you are missing the call to accumulate treasure in His kingdom. So how do you lay up treasures in heaven? We must start with having a single heart. A heart that is focused on God and desires to serve and obey Him. So your heart must be towards God. You you cannot have blindness. Also, if you're going to lay up treasures in heaven, then you must work on and seek out opportunities to give to services, to people, and to sources that honor the Lord. Not everyone that says, I'm doing the Lord's work, is actually doing the Lord's work. So we need to be careful about just randomly giving out money, which I don't think that we're necessarily guilty of, but just, you know, we should not throw money at anything that just appears to be valid. But we should give some thought and some attention to how we give so that we would be wise stewards of what He's given to us. We need to submit all that we have to God. Jesus died. And when He died, He made you, as a child of God, an heir of the promises to Abraham. He brought you in. The promise to Abraham was that he would be an heir of the world. Abraham was going to inherit the world. So you, therefore, because you are in Christ, you too are an heir of the world. So why would you hold on so tightly to petty things? Now, some of this takes practice. Laying up treasure in heaven takes... It's not easy. It's not like, you know... We pray, and then after we say this prayer, Lord, I give everything to you, then we get up and we feel like, huh, I just, I want to give $300 to this such and such ministry. It, it doesn't just come like that. So we, in some cases, we have to take things that we like. What's something that you like and something that you might possibly uh, like too much? And give it up. This is called mortification of the flesh. Putting to death your members, as Paul will say. Again, I'm not calling on you to sell your house, your car, your bicycle, and everything else, and all but the clothes on your back. But I'm saying start small. When you see something advertised on your favorite website, and it's whatever it is, 
is newer and better. And normally, you would jump at the chance to shell out $150 for whatever that is. Maybe rethink that, and if you're going to spend that money, spend it on something that would be more valuable in the kingdom of God. Give away your wealth to Christ. Don't hold it too tightly. He, he crucified, when He died, He crucified your fleshly desires. And one of those fleshly desires is to covet what is not yours. He died so that you would not be bound and controlled by that desire. You don't have to come up with any new plans or new ideas on this. Just submit what you have to Him. And be liberal in your giving. And do it cheerfully. And when you do that, you will lay up treasure in heaven. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that You would make us more liberal in our giving to You. Free us from the bondage of wealth and things that would seek to possess us and deliver us from the temptations that come to accumulate more on earth that we may instead give to You and those areas that are honoring to Your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.